Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 through 48. Listen to what God is saying. So it is also written, the first human, Adam, became a living person, and the last Adam became a spirit that gives life. But the physical body comes first, not the spiritual one. The spiritual body comes afterwards. The first human was from the earth made from dust. The second human is from heaven. The nature of the person made from dust is shared by people who are made of dust. And the nature of the heavenly person is shared by heavenly people. We will look like the heavenly person in the same way as we have looked at the person made from dust. This is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood can't inherit God's kingdom. Something that rots can't inherit something that doesn't decay. Listen, I'm telling you a secret. All of us won't die, but we will be changed. In an instant, in the blink of an eye, the final trumpet, and at the final trumpet, the trumpet will blast and the dead will be raised with bodies that won't decay and we will be changed. It's necessary for this rotting body to be clothed with what can't decay and for the body that is dying to be clothed in what can't die. And when the rotting body has been clothed in what can't decay, the dying body has been clothed in what can't die. Then the statement in scripture will happen. Death has been swallowed up by a victory. Where is your victory, death? Where is your sting, death? Uh, death, death sting is sin, and the power of, of sin is in the law. Thanks, thanks, thanks be to God who gives us glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a result of this, my loved brothers and sisters, you must stand firm, unshakable, excelling in the work of the Lord as always, because you know that your labor isn't going to be, isn't going to be for nothing in the Lord. May the Lord bless the scripture. Thank you. So it's good to be back. Uh, I was in at uh, UBC Wicker Park last year, or last year, last week. It does feel like a year ago. Um, uh, as many of you know, uh, are, they're in a pastoral transition there. And um, so one of the beauties of being a multi-site church is that we can support one another um, when uh, one, one of our brothers and sisters needed a little bit more help um, and a little bit more um, extra from the other sites. That happened uh, for us here when I was on maternity leave and we had other pastors coming out here to preach. And so it's a beautiful thing to be part of a family, isn't it? Let us pray. God, thank you so much for gathering this morning um, for a super soul Sunday. Open our souls, God, to experience something, in fact, that is super, that is um, deeply transformative. Help us to hear your word in a new way and to be startled by it into a new way of living. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So many of you know that I became a Christian at a non-denominational evangelical Bible church when I was about 16 years old. And um, there were lots of things that I gained from being part of that community. I gained a deep personal relationship with God. 
uh, a powerful grounding in scripture, um, and a life of faith that was willing to put everything on the line um, in order to follow God's leading. But as you can imagine, there were probably, there were some things that were not so great um, about this tradition. Uh, patriarchy, sexism, homophobia, and a shockingly uncritical lens when it came to understanding how our faith mattered in the broader scope of the world that we lived in. And as I came to know other Christians and Christian traditions, I kind of had to confront some of the more limited and harmful things that I had learned. Um, and one of these ideas was that this world, that this life that we are living here and now, didn't really matter all that much because we were just going to go to heaven and it was going to be all good, right? Therefore, um, what I did on earth and what I did to earth didn't really matter all that much. Well, in our passage for today, um, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, that's why it's called 1 Corinthians, it's the first letter to them, um, the Apostle Paul is kind of dealing with a similar type of mindset. Now, all of the UChicago undergraduates here could probably do a better job of explaining this, but I'll give you a basic overview of kind of the context of what's going on. Um, so the Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish folk, uh, were living in Rome, um, and at the time there was a kind of widely embraced philosophy of the day, and the philosophy had a strong separation between body and spirit, um, Greek philosophy. People thought of the spirit as being more important while the body was sort of like not that important and um, the spirit was on a higher plane. And that's about as far as I can go while staying in my own lane. Um, if you have any more questions, you can talk to Liz or Valeria or Ade. Um, they'd be happy to expand for you. Um, so this is what, so this whole like body spirit separation thing translated um, for these new Christians um, in, in this idea that like, oh, well, as long as you had done your spiritual work, it didn't really matter what you did with your body. So these Corinthians were like, I'm good. I accepted Jesus and the whole reconciliation thing. My spiritual self is set, done and done. And Paul is like, nah, brah, it ain't like that. <laughs> Just like what we reflected last week from Jeremiah, we return to this truth that there is more to the Christian life than praying a prayer and then wearing the team colors that you have to dig in somehow. Paul, in his signature convoluted style, made even more convoluted by translating it from Greek to English, tries to use this idea of two atoms. So the first atom is this dude from Genesis 1 and 2, right? This, and the second atom is Jesus. I know it's confusing that he would use Adam for both, um, but just, you know, he's trying to make a point. So there are these two atoms. The first atom is the atom from Genesis. He's a living person with a physical body made from dust. Remember I talked about this um, in the first um, sermon of the series. If you weren't here, you can podcast it. Um, and he's breathed into and he's from the earth. The second Adam is a life-giving spirit whose domain is spiritual and is from heaven. And so what Paul is trying to do is um, to tell these people who are just hanging out and thinking that they're golden that they're far from done when it comes to being a Christian. He's trying to take this separation of body and spirit and pull them back together. Paul is saying, actually, you can't separate the two. What you do with your spirit makes a difference for your body. And what you do with your body makes a difference for your spirit. You don't get off the hook so easily by having to deal with the mess of this world, essentially. And Paul's point is that basically, and I'm kind of jumping ahead since we're, we haven't even hit Lent yet, but basically he's saying you can't get to Easter Sunday without going through Good Friday. In other words, you have to dig in and commit with your body, with your life. You have to commit with your whole self to that first work that God gave to that first Adam, the work of co-creation and flourishing. And the more you do that, 
the more you actually engage in that first work, um, you are actually engaging in the spiritual work of the second Adam of Jesus, body and spirit. There's no way around it. These are the bookends of humanity, and they are bound up together. Try as you might, you cannot separate them. But here's the thing, it's, it's not easy, right? It's way easier to be like, I got my Jesus, I got my ticket to heaven, and now all I have to wait for that you know, glory train to come down and pull up, right? But again, that's not how it works. That's why people didn't like Jesus. He messed with their business up close, right? It's just not that easy. If it was easy, Paul wouldn't have to be making this argument to try and convince the Corinthians. If it was easy, we wouldn't be having this sermon series that we're in, right? If it was easy, the world we lived in would not be in such of a mess. So then how do we work ourselves out of the mess, at least a little bit more? This is where the second Adam comes in. But in order to help you fully understand the second Adam, I have to tell you about another man first. I have to tell you about a man named Bayard Rustin. Has anyone here heard of Bayard Rustin? Okay, so we have a few folks. This is good. I'm glad to hear that. So Bayard Rustin, he was born in 1912 uh, in Pennsylvania. He's the youngest of nine children, and there is some like scandal there where uh, his older sister was actually his mom, um, and he was raised by his grandparents. He grew up uh, going to an African, uh, African Methodist Episcopal church, but it seems like his grandmother's faith as a Quaker and his grandparents' activism with the NAACP made its most biggest impression on him. So pretty early on, he got involved with activism. He campaigned against Jim Crow laws, he trained as a community organizer with the Quakers, um, and he even traveled to India to learn more about nonviolent civil resistance from Gandhi. And still, he found time to sing as a tenor with a band. As he grew older, Bayard Rustin's commitments to the well-being of all people grew, and he became known as someone who had a high level of organizing skills and a deep courage to stand up for his convictions. His faith took its fullest shape through his actions. He actually traveled to California to help protect the property of 120,000 Japanese Americans after Franklin Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066 into law, which ordered all Japanese Americans to vacate their homes and move into incarceration. He worked with the War Resisters League before he went on to serve as a close advisor to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And it was because of him that the tactics of nonviolent uh, resistance were employed in the Montgomery boy bus boycott. I will say this again, because I want you to hear me. It was because of Bayard Rustin that Dr. King's movement, um, and the movement that Dr. King's movement took on and embraced nonviolence as a mean of primary resistance. It's because of Bayard Rustin. Before him, Dr. King basically had no knowledge of nonviolent civil resistance. He employed armed guards outside of his home, and he himself carried a handgun. Rustin had to convince him that it was the right approach. At the time, also, King disagreed with Rustin's belief, actually, that, uh, that a social movement has to be based on the collective needs of the people at the time, regardless of color, creed, or race. King did not agree with that. And I'd make a bet that Rustin had uh, a huge influence on King's move toward embracing the ideology of beloved community that many people know about today. And I say all this not to try to like diminish Dr. King, but to emphasize that Bayard Rustin is not a footnote figure in the civil rights movement. In many ways, he is key. He was key to some of its greatest victories and most notable uh, commitments. We should actually all know about him, and now we do. 
he's a catalyst in both strategy and ideology, and yet, and yet he was forced to resign by leaders of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference because of his sexual orientation. They took what he offered, something that no one else could bring to the movement, thank you very much, and then told him to walk away. And yet, and yet, in spite of it, because of his commitment and his convictions, he continued to work closely with Dr. King and other leaders in the civil rights movement. They could not get rid of him so easily. When the planners for the March on Washington began working, they knew that Bayard Rustin had to be the lead organizer. In the weeks before the march, Rustin oversaw planners who booked buses, vetted speeches, wrote slogans, rented portable toilets. He moved between the political and the practical from determining which groups would speak when um, during the march and whether or not peanut butter sandwiches or mayonnaise sandwiches were the best choice for a hot August day. He drilled hundreds of off-duty policemen and firefighters who volunteered to serve as marshals. He made them take off their guns and coached them. He coached hundreds of firefighters and police officers in the techniques of nonviolent crowd control that he had brought back from his pilgrimage in India. He was so key to the event that he was known as Mr. March on Washington. It was because of his leadership that the march didn't turn into chaos. Most people haven't heard of Bayard Rustin because he refused to make a choice. He refused to be either black or gay. Somehow he knew, maybe it was his grandmother's love when he told her um, about his identity as a young man, or maybe it was the teaching he received at the AME church or among the Quakers. Somehow he knew that courage meant being fully rooted and standing unapologetically firm in your whole self. There was a steel rod of conviction that ran through his soul and gave him the fearlessness that he needed to endure humiliation from the state. He was arrested for sodomy, from society, from his colleagues and friends in the movement. It gave him somehow the audacity to keep showing up even when he knew he would not be fully embraced. And this is when we come back to the second Adam, the second Adam, Jesus. He came to free the first Adam from what he could not be disentangled from, fear, anxiety, shame. Jesus came to free us from the stuff of the world that tries to get us to believe that we cannot be our fullest selves, that we cannot be our, we have to make a choice and split ourselves into these little pieces this is what Paul is saying. Jesus did not come to take away the physical world and get rid of it. No. Jesus came to breathe real life into it. Courageous, audacious, fearlessly beautiful life. Jesus came so that we would stop clothing ourselves in death and decay. In false choices and boxes that we can barely squeeze ourselves into. Convincing ourselves that one out of two isn't bad. If Bayard, rose, if Bayard had chosen to be either black or gay, he would never have had it in him. I'm convinced he would never have had it in him to keep showing up the way he did. He would have never had the kind of courage he needed to tell hundreds of police and fire marshals that at this march, we will not be needing firearms. 
The fire in his belly would never have roared to life and sparked Dr. King's imagination to use his palette of words to begin painting a picture of beloved community. Getting from being the first Adam of, to a follower of Jesus is, means risking stepping out and stepping up in life, at work, in relationships. It means risking rejection, being cut down or cut out, sent to the sidelines after you put in all the work. It might not look like accepting that you just, it, it might look like accepting that you just might never actually see the full results of your effort or get the fullest credit that you deserve. It might look like being wrong more times than being right or opening your heart to be broken over and over again. I got a call not two days ago from Anna Peterson sharing that this family of six who was stabbed to death in Gage Park, that she had taught one of their students. That boy is dead. Sometimes it means opening your heart up over and over to being broken again and again. It means all of those things and. And it means always standing firm in the knowledge and conviction that God is doing something bigger through you and because of you. It couldn't happen without you. Because of your willingness to step up and step out, God is doing something bigger in this world to help it flourish like it was meant to so long ago. The second Adam, Jesus, came to free the first Adam, to be who we were intended to be all along, people who dared to embrace not only their fullest self, but to make it possible for others to also embrace their fullest selves. Because when we dare to do that, when we dare to step out into the audacity of being our whole selves, when we have left our fear behind us, when that fire in our bellies grows too hot, like the song says, it's getting hot in here, we have to take off all of our clothes, all of our rotting, decaying, death-scented clothes. And Paul says, Paul says the people of this world and all the saints who have gone before cannot help but get to their feet and shout. People can't help but shout. Death has been swallowed up by a victory. They can't help but front. Where is your victory death? Where is your sting death? Where is it? I can't seem to find it anywhere. Is it under here? Here we are nearly 53 years later. It took a while for folk to get the word out. His friends knew and his colleagues knew. And now you know what Bayard Rustin has done. It probably hurt to be cut out, no doubt. It probably hurt to be cut down in front of his back and behind his back. And he knew it all. But he kept on moving. And he kept on claiming all of who he was as he pursued his work. He refused to put on death's clothes. He kept pushing forward. He kept pushing forward and kept showing up where he should not have wanted to be. Because the minute he stopped, he knew he just couldn't stop. The minute he stopped, he knew he would have been clothing himself in decay. Bayard had to shake off that first Adamness, the dust of death, over and over again, I'm sure. That death, that, that death and that dust that wanted to shut him down. He had to claim what so many said was not his for the taking. And somehow, regardless of what the many said, he knew that it was his. 
He knew that it was his. He sang so long ago, and he is still singing today. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He hath sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Oh, I know the Lord, I know the Lord, I know the Lord laid his hands on me. Oh, I know the Lord, I know the Lord, I know the Lord laid his hands on me. Oh, I know the Lord, I know the Lord, I know the Lord laid his hands on me. Did ever you see the like before? I know the Lord laid his hands on me. King Jesus preaching to the poor. I know the Lord laid his hands on me. Oh, I know the Lord, I know the Lord, I know the Lord laid his hands on me. Oh, I know the Lord, I know the Lord, I know the Lord laid his hands on me. My Lord done just what he said. I know the Lord laid his hands on me. He healed the sick and he raised the dead. I know the Lord laid his hands on me. Oh, I know the Lord, I know the Lord, I know the Lord laid his hands on me. Oh, I know the Lord, I know the Lord, I know the Lord laid his hands on me. He knew the Lord laid his hands on him. That's the voice of a man who knows he is loved, who knows he is called, and knows he is free, just like you and me. Death has been swallowed up by a victory. Where is your victory, death? Where is your sting, death? Where is it? I don't see it anywhere. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this victory that has swallowed up death. Help us to have the courage to claim it, to live it, to not retreat just into the spiritual, but allow the spiritual to invade our bodies, to shed those clothes that are rotting and decaying on us so that this flesh of life might be made seen by this world and come alive in ways that it never could without you, without this victory. Help us, God, not to be afraid of the sting because it's nowhere to be found. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.